You are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economics and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast is not investment research and nor does it purport to make any recommendations. Rather, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be relied upon for any investment purposes. You are advised to read the full Global Economics and Markets Research Disclaimer, which can be found at www.combankresearch.com.au. I'm almost getting to the end of that disclaimer before the music finishes, but maybe next time I'll get there fast enough. Uh, hello there. My name is Dennis Vosnesensky. I'm an Associate Director of Agri and Sustainability at CBA based in Sydney, Australia. And joining me today to discuss the latest on grains, oil seeds, pulses, pirates and currency is the Head of International and Sustainable Economics, Joseph Caperso. How's it going, Joe? Yeah, all good here. Thanks, uh, Dennis. Uh, last time uh, we spoke, uh, a month ago now, that was uh, in fact your, your first uh, podcast with us, uh, you mentioned that it had been raining a lot around the country. Has anything changed since then? Are there any particular areas of concern you've got? Well, if we look at Queensland, there's been significant rainfall, especially over the last week. I was looking at data from St. George, and it saw hun- over 110 millimetres purely on the 30th of January. Wow, this, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And when I was looking back at the data, I kept having to recheck to make sure that I've actually got the data right, just because of how much rainfall there's been. Uh, if you look at New South Wales, Victoria, SA, all started the year strong in terms of rainfall. There weren't too many issues. Uh, well, actually, not too many issues from a, a rainfall deficit point of view. If you look at Victoria, southern New South Wales, you would have seen areas with floods. Uh, if you look at Western Australia, it's been very hot and dry. You look at Albany, Esperance, at least some rainfall, whereas Geraldton, poor Geraldton's only, it has, has literally seen zero rainfall since the start of the year. So I think in terms of areas of concern, Western Australia is really at the top of the list there. And we're, we're going to have to wait and see what happens uh, from a pricing perspective as a result. Can WA kind of disconnect from what's happening on the East Coast and be in a world of its own this year? Yeah, well, WA is a long way from the East Coast, so in some ways it, it really is a, a world of its own. Uh, what else has been happening? Uh, your title implies there's some more disruption to trade. Yeah, so, so, so my title this time is Seas of Uncertainty. Uh, we've had issues with the Red Sea, we've had issues with the Black Sea, and now we actually have pirates in the mix. Uh, starting to sound like more of a movie as opposed to uh, what's actually happening in our world. I take it's not Pirates of the Caribbean, though. No, not Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, that, that's for sure. Um, uh, but if we, if we look at it, uh, what's been happening is on the eastern coast of Africa, there Historically, there's been issues with Somali pirates, uh, especially around the Horn of Africa. Um, and between 2005 to 2012, that's when there was a lot of issues. Uh, in 2012, there was 212 attacks uh, on vessels. Uh, then there was an international naval effort put together, uh, and it tamed the attacks, resulting in only around three attacks between 2018 and 2022. Uh, now that there's been a lot more activity around the Red Sea, some of that naval naval focus has been shifted more towards what's happening in the Red Sea further north. Uh, and that's resulted in this temporary, hopefully, uh, vacuum where we've seen an increase in attacks. So there's been 13 attacks um, since November, since early November 2023. And there's been 19 instances or how they call it, suspicious instances where it could have been uh, an attack. Uh, in, in terms of who's it impacting, uh, it wouldn't necessarily be, well, the Australian vessels that it would be impacting are the ones who would have gone close to the Red Sea thinking they're going to get through and then decided we're going to go around Africa uh, and that's how we're going to get to Europe. Uh, for the vessels 
coming straight from Australia to Europe. They, they, they don't have a need to go past that section of East Africa where the attacks uh, have started. Uh, in the, what, what's the impact if we, if we think of it? Well, in, in the short term, any disruptions to trade uh, coming from Europe uh, or other parts of the world that need that area and want to go to Asia, well, that would disrupt their trade and result in more supportive prices uh, in Australia. But overall, if we look at the longer term picture, the more disruption we're seeing to freight, whether that's in the Red Sea, whether that's in the Black Sea, whether that's uh, around Africa, um, the, the more disruptions to freight, the higher the freight cost. And typically we've seen when global freight costs rise, it ends up causing and it ends up having a negative impact on the farm gate price. Short term, maybe some gain in the long term. The more disruption there is to freight, it's not actually a positive to us. It's probably more of a negative because we're so uh, export oriented. You know what is interesting, though? Uh, we've seen India in the last couple of years uh, pick up exports of chickpeas from Tanzania, which it's not usually not commonly talked about, but it, it's a bit of an interesting anomaly. Um, and... Well, Tanzania is very close to all this disruption with the with the pirates, so it's one to watch. Uh, not saying that's something will uh, interfere with that trade from Tanzania to India in terms of chickpeas, but yeah, it's one to watch to see if some, something does happen. Uh, thanks, Dennis. Um, what about the Red Sea itself? Well, vessel movements are definitely declining if you look at the data overall. Uh, if you delve into the a bit further into the data, uh, what's interesting is that container ships, the amount of container ships that are moving through that area, th that's plummeting. Uh, if you look at bulk, bulk vessels, they are still moving through. Uh, it, it, there is an obvious decline, but it hasn't been as sharp as, for example, container vessels. I've been speaking to a number of people in the freight sector, and they're saying, well, ships from the Black Sea, they're already going through a war zone. For them, it's less of a concern, so they'd be going through. So overall, uh, while ship, the, uh, sorry, the amount of vessels are declining, there's still volume going through on the bulk side of things, not on the container side. Okay, so the, the containers are ones that are feeling the brunt at the moment. How have grain markets uh, responded to all this uncertainty? Well, um, I, I might hum and ah here a little bit, but I've, I've written a couple of notes because there's been a lot uh, going on, including what the response has been. Well, the response hasn't actually been that drastic. Global wheat prices, they're, they're up about a, a percent over the last week. Corn's marginally higher. And whether we're seeing geopolitical risk arise in the Red Sea or the Black Sea uh, temporarily, the these increasing geopolitical risks, they keep getting offset by large crops that are either already available around the world or soon to be available. And something interesting has actually been happening um, over January. Uh, if we look at Canada and Russia, two very large exporters uh, of wheat, uh, the volume of exports over January have actually been easing. And it's not because, well, the theory is it's not because they have less availability of wheat. It's just the demand for wheat has started to slow. If we look at Canada's Grain Commission, uh, they released data, and it showed that wheat exports between the 1st of January and the 28th of January uh, were only about 1.3 million tonnes. That's down 28% on a year ago and 6% down on the five-year average. If we look at Russia, according to the Russian Grain Union, 2.8 million tonnes of wheat was exported to the 29th of January from the 1st, and that's versus around 4.6 million tonnes the year prior. So th there's still some room in, in that month to up that number, but overall, it, it's a decline. Also, on the on, on the bearish side of things, if we look at uh, Argentina, there's talk about the fact that the export tax their new president was planning on implementing on the exports of, for example, wheat. Uh, th there's been some backpedaling on that. And 
what that basically means for us here in Australia is that it, it gives more incentive for Argentinian farmers to plant, knowing that they'll be able to export with that lower tax. Higher planting for a crop that's usually harvested around the same time as we harvest, well, that's not really good news because they're going to be exporting at the same time as we are and they may have a larger crop as a result. Uh, on the local front, APW track prices down on average $5 per tonne on the East Coast, down $3 per tonne in WA. That's for free and store Quinana. Uh, the premium, the interesting thing is that the, the premium we trade at compared to global, that's uh, continuing to be squeezed on both the, the East Coast and the West Coast. But uh, the West Coast has been quite jumpy because of those dry conditions. A lot of ups and downs as opposed to the East Coast where the trajectory for that premium to global prices has just been going down. Uh, it's very hot, as we mentioned before, very dry. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see uh, if it's possible that we see the East Coast prices continue to dip and that premium to global continue to dip, while on the West Coast, it holds up because of drier conditions. Uh, on the barley side, uh, the last part of this section, uh, down around 7 to $11 per tonne. Uh, if you look on the East Coast, WA uh, actually slightly up uh, due to the drier conditions. W what's really constraining global and local feed prices. Well, again, there's plentiful uh, amount of corn coming to markets all around the world, really, uh, in, in the near future. Brazil seems to be going very, very well, pardon me. Argentina has been hot. Uh, that's true. Uh, they've been, they had a very significant turnaround for the better, uh, but now they've gone hot over the last couple of weeks uh, with the crop classified as good to excellent down 5% from the week prior to 41% and a downgrade. It's not good, but uh, if you look at last year, the, uh, the proportion of the crop, the corn crop that was classified good to excellent was only 12% versus 41% this year. Difference. So yeah, yeah qu quite a change. Uh, Dennis, uh, that's grains. What about uh, oil seeds? Well, if we look at European canola prices, down between 1.5 and 2.5%. It, it depends on what time uh, during the day you're looking at it. Uh, if we look at Canadian prices, also down around 2 to 3% on the week. Um, the canola prices keep getting weighed down by this uh, rush of soybeans that's likely to come to market uh, in the not-too-distant future and slowing Chinese demand. If you look at Chinese hog prices, we talked about it last week. Uh, this week, they ended about 3% lower. There was a slight rise mid-week, mid likely uh, because there was an increase in demand heading into Chinese New Year. But again, finished the week 3% lower, so it's continued its trajectory down. Uh, again, it's been dry in Argentina, but overall, the crop still compares very well to last year. And... Local prices for canola, non-GM, down around $7 per tonne. It's going to be interesting to see if that spread between local pricing and global uh, starts to get a bit wider. So we start trading at a bigger discount to, for example, what's happening uh, in European canola prices. And again, the reason is it's due to the Red Sea. Uh, since we can't go through the Red Sea and the Panama Canal, or a lot of vessels probably won't now, uh, the freight cost has gone up. Uh, and as a result, that subtracts uh, the local to it subtracts from the local pricing uh, here for canola uh, Joe from my side I think that's mostly it but what I want to dive into now is a, a big part of your expertise which is foreign exchange and we have seen uh, in the past that foreign exchange has a considerable impact on commodity prices if, if we look at Australian grain prices typically when the Australian dollar goes up our grain prices go down and vice versa. When the Australian dollar goes down, our grain prices go up. And lately, uh, we I noticed a bit of a, a bit of a decline in Australian dollar. Has there been any significant reason for that? So last week, the Aussie dollar lost about one uh, US cent. Uh, most of the reason for that, uh, not all of it, is that the US dollar increased against more or less every currency. 
Uh, and that's been the case actually, not just last week, but for an, a number of weeks uh, so far this year. And that reflects that the, um, the market is reassessing when the US Federal Reserve will start to cut its policy interest rate. So for quite a number of months now, the market has been expecting the Fed to start cutting interest rates as soon as March. Uh, but given the really strong economic data, particularly, say, last week's uh, non-farm payrolls report, where uh, employment in the US increased about 353,000 in January and a similar amount in December, uh, the market is just reassessing the need for rate cuts, so it's pushing it off. So, look, we think that uh, the US dollar can probably lift uh, a little bit further against most currencies in the next couple of months, and that's going to help guide the Aussie dollar down. Yeah, okay. So, interesting. We, so, we might not see those US, uh, or the market thinks we may not see those US rate cuts as early uh, as first thought. That's right. And uh, what is something that could actually reverse this moving forward and result actually in a, in a uh, higher uh, Australian dollar as we move into year-end? Just theoretically, what, what, what could kind of reverse this trajectory downward that we've been seeing? So w- one thing or another thing that uh, impacts the value of the Aussie dollar against the US dollar is simply uh, the economic data in China. As you know, it's been quite soft for more than a year now. And that's been a, a real weight on the Aussie dollar in, in the past year or so. So if uh, the Chinese uh, authorities, which have been throwing a fair bit of money at the economy uh, in the last six or so months, if they start to gain traction with their policy stimulus, uh, that could push up uh, mining commodity prices and help guide uh, the Aussie dollar higher. And so we think that will probably happen uh, later in the year. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so that, that's one to watch. Uh, again, to re-emphasise, when we typically see a lower Australian dollar, beneficial usually for grain prices, when we see a higher Australian dollar, we become less competitive and our prices for grains uh, typically decline. Uh, well, look, I think we have a lot there that we put uh, to digest for our audience. Uh, the, the main key takeaways uh, from the grains and oilseed side of things is that while we continue to see these geopolitical risks con- uh, rise. So whether it's uh, something happening in the Middle East or in the Black Sea or with these pirates that we talked about, uh, overall, there's plentiful availability of grains and oil seeds globally. And that's just the year we've uh, entered into. Uh, on the FX side, some interesting observations there by Joe. Maybe interest rates in the US won't decline uh, as early as first thought. Uh, and Joe, anything you wanted to add before I wrap up quickly? No, I think that that's the main points. Thanks, Dan. All right. Well, you can find both Joe and I on social media. If you go on LinkedIn, you can find Joe and myself. And you can find me at Voz underscore Dennis on X, or as it used to be called, Twitter. I think that's it from us. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.